Welcome to the Haunted Hacker podcast number, I don't know, I've done so many this week. So Nina, I usually let my guests pick the number of the podcast. So give me a number above 70. 3,943. 3,943. You have to remind me of that after the podcast so I can write it down. Okay. Um, but I like that. So today we have Nina Ali on the show and uh, I'll let her introduce herself here in a minute. I'll give you a little bit of update on what's going on. Not much has changed since Wednesday, I think, um, when my last podcast was. Um, so I'll be speaking in Cyprus in January now and South Africa in November, I think. And also I'll be speaking in Oklahoma City December 1st. And I'll be speaking in Switzerland on Monday, tomorrow actually. So stay tuned and look for links for those. Um, so we'll go ahead and get started. So like I said, Nina Ali is on the show today after much coercion and, and coaxing. Um, so Nina, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your journey into cyber? So some of the coercion is partially true. It's just, I, I suck at answering um, text messages and emails, like let's be serious. Um, so my background, um, actually the beginning, beginning, got out of the military, needed a job, um, went into ambulatory centers when they were just coming up on putting in partial pieces of the electronic medical record into, I, I think I was there for like five years and in English, I implemented 22 facilities of the same medical system to a full electronic medical record. Um, and that was the impetus for probably the rest of my life. Um, worked in hospitals, the EMR primarily um, working on clinical documentation, but when it comes to the clinical documentation, you have to put in the rest of all the IOT connected things. Um, so to that extent, I worked in surgical oncology, which um, is a beast on its own. And um, I worked at one of the the hospitals that vacillates between number one and two in the world for cancer care. So that was an opportunity and it was amazing. So they actually sent me to school. I started going to school for nursing and they were like, awesome, but you know what? You'd be super useful if you knew informatics instead. So we're going to change your life with this. So um, I have my first master's in biomedical and health informatics, and I am a glutton for academic punishment. I have a second master's for translational medicine. So that's more like the citizen science side of life. Um, and just going forward with that, I'm doing another master's in um, international relations with the primary focus on warfare. Um, and that is by no means a, a like, oh my God, academia is amazing. Um, it's not, it's, it's more just, I get coaxed into doing really dumb shit and this is part of it. So that's it. Um, and in between all these things, I have worked on the biohacking village. So I've been the um, executive director of the biohacking village for the past seven years. So it started out as nine talks with the shared village. And then I took it over the next year. And from there, just from the experiences I had, I grew it into five different labs. Not I, it's not an I, it's a we. Like there's a lot of people involved and invested in doing all of this. So it's five different labs now. Um, speaker lab. So people come in, talk about the cool new emerging tech, whether that's in like biotech, healthcare, citizen science, cybersecurity. Um, and that goes for all of the, all of the labs in it. So also we have a catalyst lab because some people are better with hands-on learning. 
Um, we have a tabletop exercise that we take to failure. It's not one of those situations of like, this got hard, let's go take a nap. Like, no, we're finishing this. You must feel the pain so you understand um, what to do. Um, also capture the flag, leveling people up. And that one, like a lot of people do the, like, this is just focused on cybersecurity. We focus it on healthcare plus cybersecurity equals things. And then we also have the device lab where the medical manufacturers come in and they're like, we have a thing. Can you go through our thing? And they take the thing. Uh, the hacker community, hacker cybersecurity researcher community comes in, breaks the things and helps them fix their vulnerabilities. That's really cool. So done. interview over. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> so that's really cool. We met on Gary Berman's show. Um, I can't remember the name. It was like cyber defenders or something like that. Some crazy cyber hero network. Cyber hero network. That's right. And uh, we were on a panel of, that consisted of like, what was it, like 10 to 12 people, I think. It was a big panel. And I think we spent most of the time messaging back and forth about what was going on um, on the panel. I haven't done that, uh, that panel or, or that show in, in quite a long time. Um, kind of branched off and did my own thing and, and started doing this podcast. But um, I knew right away when, when you started talking, I was like, okay, she's, she's my people. I, I, know, I know what's going on here. Um, but we have similar backgrounds. Can right? I like dig into that for five seconds? Sure, go for it. 90% of the time I wear all black, right? And I, I cover my tattoos and my hair looks reasonably dark right now. I'm, I am leaving my current workplace and they had a goodbye like Zoom link meeting thing. Mm -hmm. And one of the comments that was made was, I knew you were going to come in and be a game changer. You have pink hair and tattoos. And I knew that was going to be a big deal. And in the back of my head, I was like, what are you talking about? Why mm. is that a differential? Why is that even a consideration when you had a conversation with me? Like I have conversations with all the people all the time and just sidebar on this. I, there was a tweet that just vexed me internally one day. And it said something along the lines of, I'm going to be a translator between um, the manufa like the, the manufacturing big corp people and the hacker tattooed community. And I was like, Wait a minute. What? Do you know how many people have tattoos, even if it's just like the small blue dot that is the earth? Why is that a thing? Why do you feel like you have to be a communicator between hacker community tattoo people? Not threw me off. Please continue. I just wanted to say it. I like that because a lot of people think that just because you're tattooed. So back in the day when I first started getting tattooed, um, people would look at me and they would automatically assume unintelligent, not educated, can't communicate. And then when they start talking to you, then I'd get the response later of, well, it's really, you know, it's really great to meet you. And I'm really surprised. And I'm like, why? Why are you surprised? Well, you know, tattoos and everything. And then we sat down and, and had like a long, deep conversation. I was like, wait a minute. So people that are tattooed and, and have piercings can't be deep and educated like that. That blew me away. And it's kind of funny that you mentioned that, too, because back when I first got into the industry, the whole idea of people with tattoos and everything and, and non-conformist um, were kind of looked down upon, but now it's kind of like a marketing piece. You know, they use the, the mystique or the, or the physical appearance to kind of up their street creds. You know, it, it just, it bugs me. And then being brought onto like a customer site as kind of like the dog and pony show, like here's uh -huh. our token hacker is really irritating because yep. yes. they treat you completely different. Um, so yeah, it's, I, it's interesting. I'm also a big fan of the DEI stuff. And mm -hmm. they're like, oh, I am really dyslexic. 
mm-hmm. like terrible. And that's just something I disclosed to everybody, right? There's a lot of things wrong in here. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they're like, oh, she's going to be super different because her neural pathways are different. So she's Latin. She's a veteran. She mm-hmm. is a woman. She's a this and she's a hacker. And she said, I don't need to click all your boxes for you to feel like I am worth anything. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, there's, there's tons of people out there that are really, really talented that don't necessarily fit that hacker mold. Like, you know, I don't know why that even exists, but there's a lot of people out there that are straight laced and, and no tattoos and khaki wearing button up shirt wearing geniuses. Um, you don't necessarily have to, to look the part, I don't think. Um, but it was weird being, you know, tattooed and stuff before the industry actually started and then coming into it and seeing a transition from the old mindset to the new mindset. So, yeah, I mean, we met on, met on the Gary Berman show and we started talking and, and, uh, you know, I started doing some OSINT while we're on the, on the show and I'm like, who is this person? I know, I know she's my people, but who is she? And so, yeah, it was very difficult. And I thought, okay, she's got, she's got OPSEC down to a, to an art. Um, of course I couldn't do that because my stuff is all public and it's just really weird. Um, but yeah, I was glad that you actually like accepted the, the request to be on the show. Um, I thought it'd be really cool. And plus we have similar backgrounds, you know, DOD, military, you know, you got into medical, I kind of went the opposite direction. Um, but we're still involved with the same type of people. And I think what really sparked my attention was when you were talking about biomed and bio device hacking and stuff like that. Um, because I have a pacemaker and we talked about that during Gary's show. And, uh, you know, I've got a passion for security and, and hacking. And the first thing I did was look at my device and try to figure out how it communicates, what it communicates and what can I do with it? Um, I was pretty surprised to see that back then, uh, certain uh, medical device companies didn't really think about security that much and didn't think about, Oh wait, you know, maybe someone can hack into this. Mm-hmm. So have you seen like a big transition to today as far as like biomed goes? What's back then? What's your back, timeline? Uh, let's do 10 years. Okay. Have I seen any trends? Yeah. Um, I'm going to broaden that exponentially. Um, the trend for all of healthcare now, because the pandemic is like, oh, we didn't know this was a thing. No, we knew, we knew, we just, we just didn't really pay attention to it because, um, because the, the comment I hear too much is nobody wants to hurt a patient, but the medical device is not the only way when you're in a hospital to hurt a patient. There's all those micro sectors that live within the hospital that everybody um, has sort of avoided having conversations about. So when it, so going back to the pacemaker and all of the other implantables, um, I think they more or less, a lot of things were left open um, because like I have chips in my hand, right? Um, You have the pacemaker. I have no idea that you have a pacemaker until you just told me or told me then. Um, So would I think I can attack this? No, maybe not really. But if my Bluetooth on my phone is on, and maybe I'm next to you and it's like pinging about some random thing. I'm going to look around and go, is it you? (laughs) And then we're going to have to have a bigger conversation of first of all, why is it on? Mm. Um, Well, actually, first of all, what happened? 
tell me your story, tell me your medical history story if you want, um, and et cetera. But layering, this is this is multi-layer. So when the medical and pharma device manufacturers are doing these things, most a lot of this comes down to ROI and the revenue at the end of the year so that they can show progress. So does security, does the benefit of security give them any ROI? Are they embedding security teams into those, those operational technical teams? And it's usually, the answer is no. Um, and that bothers me. That bothers me exponentially because we could, this is all software, right? It's software. I have, I have a better answer. Uh, tell me about your pacemaker. So tell it's me about your actual physical pacemaker, not the, not the tech behind it, the physical part. The physical part? Um, well, it was inserted uh, in a lab in Houston, and I didn't get a chance to actually look at the device, but I looked it up online to see what it physically looked like. Um, it was clear. There's two leads that come off of it. Um, I can actually feel the leads in my chest. Um, mm -hmm. It's very close to service. Uh, and of course, it gets uncomfortable sometimes because, you know, it, it kind of bulges a little bit sometimes. Um, but the weirdest thing, it wasn't so much of what the actual device looks like. It was more of the fact that it's inside of me. Like when I woke up and, and realized that this thing was in my chest, like, that is a really strange feeling that the rest of my life, this thing is going to be sitting here in my chest. And so I tried to learn as much as I could about it. So physically, I couldn't tell you exactly what this device looks like that's in my chest. I can tell you what the other ones look like or, or what this model looks like on the internet. But as far as being able to see it and touch it and, and you know, get familiar with it, that never happened. And I think that part is the part that really scared me because waking up and you've got this chunk of, of machinery in your chest, it freaks you out. So diving deeper into that, mm -hmm. when, when the pacemakers, whatever um, device is being made, there's, there's that physical aspect of it, right? There's, this is the hardware. This is the hardware that we're going to slam into somebody's body. But this is the equivalent of saying we're putting an iPhone in you. Mm -hmm. You can't just slam an iPhone into somebody and be like, we're good. You're good yeah. to go. Get out of the hospital. There's so many other elements that have to be thought about when you put one of anything inside somebody. So there's that, that film that has to go around it, film or glass or whatever it looks like, so that your body doesn't go, I need to attack this. This is a bad idea. Um, and then... Also thinking about um, the hip transplants. I think they were made of originally made of beryllium. Yes. My mom had one. A beryllium one? Johnson and Johnson. So she had to have it replaced. Yeah. Right. And then there's that. So uh, thinking about how clinical trials work, it's, I think they're depending on what it is, right? If it has a predicate. So there's, there's this much time that we're going to spend on this. And, you know, two days after that period of time, whatever is happening is leaking into, it's siphoning itself into someone's, um, body and their immune system is reacting, but there's never been a trial on that because it just wasn't in the time frame. So I think about all these things when we're talking about medical devices, because it's never just the device isn't working, like what part of the device isn't working. Um, so just going back, so taking all the things into consideration. So when the manufacturers are making it, it's how does the physical hardware of the device work? How is it maintained? How is it covered? What does the clinical trial look like? when and where is the security layered into these things? And then 
are they thinking about your original question was, are they thinking about security more? Yes. Um, I think, I think the FDA is making them think more about the things, but um, implementation, going back through the devices that are already out there and into people, um, going back to your comment, when you go to the hospital, I don't, I don't know the, the, the situation, right? But going to the hospital, you had, you had your feelings and the doctor doesn't look at you and go, you know what? Um, you're gonna need to go through this pamphlet and this pamphlet and whatever other thing. And you just choose which one you want. Mm -hmm. And you know, here's some 1-800 numbers so you can contact the manufacturers and make a good decision. And then you let us know and we'll just take you into surgery. That's not how that works. No. It's, it's a gut punch mm -hmm. and it's like TikTok. We need to go now. Yes. So the doctor is making a decision under duress. You are being put under duress. There's also um, that that doctor trust situation of there's the doctor trust situation. There's um, there's the who knows more about this device and who knows more about me. Mm -hmm. Also, conversation that happens. There's there's so much around medical and it's it's security of those conversations. The people the it's the TTP of all the things, every yeah, part. I, I was really confused too, because the way that I looked at it, when I went to the hospital, it was a very quick decision that they made. Um, but I looked at it like this, I'm taking a piece of technology and I'm not entering this technology, not only into my house, but into my body. Mm -hmm. I have no time to like, you know, before I buy technology, I want to read about it. I, I want to RTFM, you know, and, and really get to know what I'm bringing in. Into my Amazon own. product review. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and I got none of that. Um, I literally got uh, some bells and whistles going off and alarms going off in my room. And then a doctor runs in, nurses run in and doctor says, you need a pacemaker. And I said, okay, how, I mean, what time frame are we looking at? And he goes two hours. And I was like, oh shit. So there's literally no time. And, you know, it's a, it's a scary experience for one, because, you know, you don't know what's going on with your body because, you know, it's different. And then you've got a person you probably have never met before because your heart doctor, your cardiologist is not always the same one who does is never the same one really who does the intervention. Yeah. So you have no idea who this guy is. And then you wake up and here's this guy. And he's like, yeah, I just cut you open and put this thing in your chest. So you should be good. And I'm like, wait a minute, who are you? And what is this? And is that all I get? Like no more information. And they come back with a card and it basically yeah. says the model number, yep. how many leads, and they say, carry this and don't go through metal detectors. And I was like, oh, well, that's promising. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so then there's I'm, no other conversation, right? No, none. It's not, this is how you take care of it. Right. It's, this is your follow-up exam with another doctor. And they, they never tell you the possibilities of side effects or what it can cause. And I didn't realize how detrimental it can be until I got to London. And I started having an issue where I couldn't swallow. And I was like, what is a problem here? And went to the hospital and they realized that I had a blood clot in my super vena cava from one of the leads. Yeah. Nobody, nobody tells you that, you know, if you experience this, you might want to go to the hospital because this may be happening. I have and so many like personal questions for you, but I'm not, not going to do it here. We'll talk about it later. Okay. okay. But yeah. So, I mean, it, not only are you bringing in technology into your body, but also, you know, you're bringing in something that could possibly damage your internals. 
Um, another part that really freaked me out was after they got the pacemaker in and they come in with this little device and it looks almost like a, a sonar type deal or, or sonogram and they put it on your chest, you know, outside your t-shirt and they just put it on, put it on your chest and they turn this thing on and they're manipulating things with a laptop mm-hmm. and they're interrogating the pacemaker. Well, at one point they throw my heart out of rhythm. And you can feel it, you can physically feel it. And I lost my breath and I was like, whatever you're doing, stop. That's not cool. And she was like, oh no, we have to test it on these various levels. And, you know, you'll go through this routine, you know, every six months or so. And then at that time I was like, wait a minute, she has a laptop. Something is not physically connected to my body and is making my pacemaker do shit that is not normal. And I can feel it. And that started the wheels turn my mind. So I was like, okay. All this information that she's taken with this little device is going through her computer and being transmitted back to the manufacturer and to the doctor. And I started thinking, okay, well, if my pacemaker is doing that, so is everybody else's that has the same model. And I wonder how many patients that interventionist has that has the same model. I started thinking about, well, if I just attack the doctor's network and get into their database and find out where this information is going, I can get everybody's information. And that really scared me. And then I started realizing that, uh, oh, wait a minute. Every time I walk by my Bluetooth speaker, it starts freaking out. What the fuck is going on? Uh, bells went off. I was like, oh, wait, I got to get one of those devices and figure out what the fuck's going on. Mm-hmm. So then I found out they have Bluetooth turned on, contacted the manufacturer, contacted the doctor. And I said, no, bullshit. That needs to be turned off unless there's an interrogation going on. Right. Then, then we can activate it. Oh, we can't do that. No, you, you can and you will. And so that I went through this back and forth process until they finally agreed to disable that. Um, and it's, it's pretty routine. Like they do that once you go into an MRI, cause I have the MRI safe one. Yep. They come in, shut it down, do your MRI, come out and crank it back up. So I was like, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, there's certain things that I don't think that they understand. Um, and that kind of got me interested into the biomed part of it because I know there's people out there that aren't like us that don't have that mindset that don't ask the questions. And with some of the new threats coming out, like, you know, Bluetooth hacking is so old. It's been, been around forever. But then when you look at EMPs, EMPs freak me the fuck out because I could be walking down the street and those EMPs go off. I'm done. That's it. Yeah. No, I'm so I, I take notes while we're writing, right? So just as much as you were like, I do not understand. Mm-hmm. This is new. The doctors also don't have as much insight as they need into what is or isn't happening with this thing. They know they're putting it in you. It is going to save your life. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. But they can't say these are the security parameters behind it. This is what's going on. And when you were getting your, your things done, your, your manipulation done, you had to ask the question of what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Why are you doing it? Blah, blah, blah. My father is a cardiac patient. I've had these conversations with his doctors and they're like, that's great. Do you know? Yes, I do. And we have those conversations and then we lead into the security side of things. But as much as the patient, as much as the physician doesn't know, they cannot express that to the patient. Right. So the patient is just as unaware of their care, Mm. um, if not more so because they don't understand the um, anatomical, physiological, medical side of it and the security side. They just know they have been saved. And for a lot of people, that's enough, right? They're gonna go and live their best lives. But 
that's there's so much there's so many things behind that because when the pandemic happened and prior because of um uh, pacemakers and and continuous glucose monitors etc we were bringing medicine home Mm -hmm. we were doing the thing and some of those um machinations they have a thing where they can beacon home and send information to the doctor so they're connecting to your network Mm -hmm. and then they're delivering other information to the physician so they're going through different pathways to send something so that your doctor can say person, this is happening. You need to calm down, mm-hmm. have a drink, whatever. So where in all of that is the security, where are all of those security parameters being brought up to the patient to say, this is what you need to know about securing your home network as just the general statement mm-hmm. and understanding that your, your information is going to be in transit. And this is how we've encrypted it that whole way. And even when it's at rest in you and you're just like doing nothing, how are you encrypting all of that? How do I know as a patient and as a caretaker that information is not just going to be spread out into the world and some random ass attack is going to like be the detriment of people I know or that I love or just patients in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting too, because they don't, even in the manuals, they don't really tell you everything about the device right. because it's proprietary information. And what I found interesting was when they told me, Oh yeah, you got to download this app on your phone and here's this little device and you got to connect it to Bluetooth on your phone to the app. And then you just put it on your chest and it reads it and your phone sends it. And I'm like, okay, so you're assuming that my phone is clean. You're assuming that nobody can intercept that traffic and we're good. Like, that's it. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, you shouldn't have to worry about that. I'm like, well, I do worry about that constantly. Um, so yeah, like the, the manufacturer that I dealt with, um, they were, they were, weren't willing to work with me at first, but after a while and, and floods of emails and rants and raves, and they finally listened up, but even beyond devices, right. You go into the hospital and my stays in the hospital, you know, you're laying in bed, you know, you have multiple machines hooked up to you and there's a laptop or in some cases, a monitoring keyboard mm-hmm. in the room for the nurses to update the charts, mm-hmm. put in orders, all that good stuff. And I can't count how many times the nurse walked out and left it open. Yep. And I was like, wait a minute. Okay. So this is in every room. How's communicate back to some central database. So let me take a look at the different Wi-Fi's and the different VLANs they have set up. And I'll be damned if you can't jump in the hospital. I was in, you couldn't jump from one VLAN to the next and see all this patient data. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. But I think that, you know, medical has been around for so, so, so long. And the technology is just advancing so quick that I don't think they put much thought into, Hey, maybe we need like true technologist in this industry. Um, and that's, you know, the scary, it's scary as fuck because that keeps people alive. Full agree. And so while we're here, how many, they're most hospitals, work at a deficit, right? They're never in the black, they're usually in the red. Um, So I think the statistic is like 70% of hospitals could not afford a cybersecurity person. Mm -hmm. Um, For a long period of my life, I did pro bono work because I was like, I just need this protected. Mm. I don't don't care what your money looks like, like just fix it. Um, And 
they, or they have that person that's like their halftime, like a part-time person fixing the things. And that's fine. Mm. But being hospitals don't shut down. It's not one of those things. Ambulatory, any medical just doesn't shut down. It's how do you protect something that is a moving physical organism and constantly changing? It's, it's, there's never any real homeostasis, right? So 365, 66 days, 24 hours, seven days a week. Where's that five minute time frame of, we just need to fix this. How do you, how do you update? And there's very rarely, if any, um, any sandboxes for people to be like, we need to isolate something. We just need to see if this is right or wrong. And if something is wrong, where's that plan to pull every one of those devices from the, um, the floors of the hospital to re-image, throw them away, don't throw them away. Right. But send them back to the um, manufacturer or do whatever it is that needs to get fixed on them. And nobody looks at those things. I'm a, I love, 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 love workflows. And I love threat models because that is the genesis of everything that you're going to do after. When I was working in the hospital in New York, I worked with one of the doctors and she had 27 different workflows. And I was like, cool, uh, but why? And she explained why and I was like, I get it. Okay, so we got her down to nine different workflows at the end because I needed her, the documentation and like everything else to work a certain way for certain things and just to streamline things just so that there was, more visibility into what was going on. And there's just not enough of that. There's a lot of other talk about like, we need S-bombs and we need MDS-2s and we need whatever other things. Cool, but there's a there's like a preamble to everything else that we're working on. So we need to, we need to have those conversations. And I feel like a lot of people don't wanna have those uncomfortable talks of mm-hmm. what's working and what isn't. And if it isn't working, this, I, I love failure stories, right? Um, why don't we have those failure stories? But industry-wide, mm-hmm. we, beyond healthcare, we, when we see like the colonial pipeline thing, okay, it happened, somebody fucked up somewhere, that's fine. Right. Because we can't focus on the problem anymore. We already have this. We need to come up with all of the solutions, come up with a viable answer, a conglomerate, whatever that looks like, and move forward. And when other things like this happen, Nobody goes, how does that affect healthcare? Mm-hmm. Because healthcare has the HVAC systems and the water and the heat, um, the electricity, the, the negative airflow, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And we're just all going, well, you know, hospital is just medical. They're just, you know, they're, they're making people better. Yes, but these are micro cities yep. with micro sectors. We have to focus on all of it because the patient matters. The patient is the beginning and the end of this whole thing. So there's, there's just a lot, right? And there's, I feel like a lot of people are not having those broader conversations. It's like, let's pick on this one very minute thing of like devices. Devices are the big, cool, like, oh, so exciting. Yes, they are. Granted, they're they are phenomenal, intricate things. But the overarching sector is so involved and it's, it's so exhausting in how it functions. How do we get people to pay attention to that and go, oh, what did we not see? How do we have these conversations without blame? Mm-hmm. I'm not in it to, to point fingers. How do, we, how do we say this problem happened or this is how we solved it in a normalized fashion? Yeah, and I think another problem we have too is ransomware, right? When you look at, at ransomware and, and the way it affected 
some healthcare. Um, and, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I think that the ransomware that hits some of these hospitals, they know what they're getting into. The ransomware gangs know what they're doing. And if they were smart about it, they would know that the hospital probably doesn't have a whole lot of money to pay any ransoms. So my thought is it's probably not financially driven. It's more of a let's see how much shit we can fuck up and stop production, stop, you know, hit the economy, you know, everything they can to cripple the U.S. So my note was 2015. First talk I ever really, really did was in Argentina. And I think within the first three slides, I said, this is all the information. There are two columns. And I think there were about 14 things on there. I said, this is all the information in a healthcare record. And it's all open. So how do we protect that? Um, I don't know what the stats are for it, but it's, I think, like 260 days that somebody is in your network before you even know that they're in your network. There is so much wealth of information in an EMR, in a medical device. So you can grab all of that and just be like, you know, silent, moving through the network, doing all the things. And because there's so much turnover, there's all these patients doing the things. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a win-win. It's constantly win-win. So how do we, how do we get past that? How do we negotiate the security part so that one, if, if by some chance we get ransomware, we can start creating different like silos to obfuscate or whatever happens or whatever it looks like. But if we already know that information is taken, how do we delineate what was taken versus what wasn't and clean that shit up? And nobody has a real answer for that because it's more or less like, uh, whoops, patient, patient safety, the person matters. Yep, yep. I had this call with somebody the other day about, I don't remember what it was exactly, but the, the analogy here is what blood type are you? And then you say, whatever your blood type is, me as a patient, right? And then the doctor looks at my record and says, no, you're this. And I have dog tags, right? I have dog tags. I know what blood type I am. And if I walk in and the doctor, who's the doctor going to believe? Mm-hmm. They're going to believe the computer because the computer doesn't lie. Right. Humans lie. So it becomes that, that one-off situation of, is the computer telling me the right thing? Are these people telling me the right thing? Where are we building trust? Where are we building trust in the back end? And once we know something is compromised, how are we moving forward through it? And that's a tough discussion too. I mean, when I was in the military, one of the biggest problems I have had was with the uh, military hospitals. And I remember once I went in with, you know, I guess it was like a sinus infection or something. And they wanted to give me a shot of antibiotics. Well, I assumed assumed they knew from my record that I was allergic to penicillin. Right. And they still gave me a shot and I was puking all over the place and hives and sweating. And it was a mess. And they were like, Oh, we don't know what's wrong with them. And I was like, what, what did you just shoot into me? Because it immediately kicked in. Oh, it's just penicillin. I was like, wait a minute. Are you trying to kill me? Cause in my medical record, it plainly states I'm allergic to penicillin. So they bring it up and they start going through it again. And they're like, Oh yeah. I'm like, Ooh, come on now. It's a patient header, guys. It's right here. <laughs> Should be in red blinking letters, you know, like, but yeah, I mean, and that's another thing too, is in the medical industry, a lot of the smaller hospitals and a lot of the, you know, smaller communities, they don't know a whole lot about computers to begin with. 
And when they have an issue like that, or when they're looking at a system, all they're saying is, okay, this is on the screen when I pull up his name. So obviously that belongs to him mm-hmm. and this is his data, but they don't go back and verify it. Like you right. said, they just, you know, Hey, write these orders. Here you go. Um, and that's kind of haphazard, but I try to relate, like when I was talking to the medical device manufacturer, I try to relate everything in medical terms. Right. And I try to put all of the computer networks and, and everything into more of a biological state, because if you really look at a computer network, it functions oh, just like the human body, like the system. And so if you know what to approach and what's vital and what's critical, it's not hard to understand it. You know, and I even went to, to the to extreme of, you know, this is an ethernet cable, but this is also oh. a blood vessel. So let's same thing. It carries information It carries Love blood. It. Um, and that was the only way that I was able to get through to them when I put it into their terms, Yep. but it shouldn't be like that. It should be understanding on all levels is my opinion. Okay. Um, I'm going to count to you. So my father was a paramedic. Mm -hmm. I know medical stuff already. When I did nursing stuff, I already knew medical things. When the security researchers are doing technical things in medical, mm-hmm. the jargon is the same, maybe not maybe not in each other's heads though. That communication buffer happens, right? So when, I've had this conversation before, when we talk about security, it's the same as the body. My, your, your leg muscles are not the same muscle type as what's in your stomach lining. They are different systems, different organs, doing different things in the same system, much like a hospital, much like ambulatory, et cetera. And then when you start explaining it like that, they go, oh, I get it. The other problem is a lot of this is not, um, a lot of the security side is not being taught in medical school. Right. They understand it to the extent of risk. That's it. They're not like, oh, security is a problem. It affects their risk and how the insurances work, things like that. So they're looking at this as the money part where we're looking at it as um, it's safety in a different way. So going to, so thinking again about other things, when we talk about how the hospitals are working towards security and regulations in 2017, 629 different regulations were put out by four different agencies for hospitals to oversee hospitals. If you don't even have a security person, it doesn't matter. Then as as much as they care, there's zero regulations and they can do what they want. Other problem layering on top of this is FDA is like the penultimate viewer, overseer of everything. And it's not. And everybody thinks that. They oversee devices. That's it. They device in a silo. Does this work? Does it work by itself? Amazing. Let's send it out into the world. The problem is um, ONC. I think it's ONC. I may be wrong. HHS or ONC oversee the hospitals. Mm -hmm. They regulate all those things. OCR helps with patients. There's all these different other branches under HHS that do the things that the hospitals have to conglomerate together. And the stat that I gave is from 2017. So thinking all the way through the four years that have elapsed since then, there's like a million other things that are going on. Additionally, the 629 different regulations are just for the US. So not thinking internationally. 
Right. And that's, that's huge. Um, you know, but it's so doing, doing pen test and, and doing assessments on hospitals, right. Um, the number one concern for a lot of the hospitals that depend on state funding is, okay, we just need to pass this pen test so we can get funding to keep going. Um, and I was doing a pen test on the East coast for, for a hospital. And it was, it was traumatic. It was very drastic. The, the shape that their network was in um, to, you know, make a long story short, uh, they had admin credentials, sysadmin credentials, network admin credentials going across in, in clear text. And I went to the director of IT and I said, hey, look, you know, you guys are giving out your network admin credentials in clear text. Oh, but it's OK, because we all use the same password. I'll just change it. I was like, oh, Jesus, like th- I can't hear this. Like you do realize that that's a failure. And that went on for, for a week and we were able to get into the ORs and stuff like that. And at the end of it, they got really upset and they tried to put pressure on the company I was working for because they failed their pen test and they were risking losing funding because that hospital had been hit before. Yeah. And I mean, if, if you think about it and if a lot of the networks are in that same condition and nation states want to disrupt and damage the internal operation of the U.S., Hospitals are a prime place to go. Um, you can affect lives. You can cripple an entire system, especially during COVID. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everybody is dependent on what the hospital is doing to keep people alive. Just, you know, I think in my mind, looking at pre-pandemic and during pandemic, hospitals' criticality and, and, and their, their operation as a critical asset in the U.S., I'm sure the pressure was 200% more. Um, you know, and I'm sure criminals are looking at this going, hmm, you know, do we want to shut down some stuff and cause real chaos? And, and you know, not only put a, a ransom on the, on the hospital, but on the U.S. infrastructure, you know, and have you seen any of that going on post-pandemic and maybe like during the pandemic? Do you mean pre-pandemic? Yeah. Okay. Um, shutting down of hospitals. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the, the best answer I'm going to give to this current state is, um, the medical community loves statistics and data. Mm -hmm. What they don't have is statistics and data on these things. Right. So there was a recent, um, there was a a child that recently passed, right? Because of Mm a, of a, an issue, but um, so like full disclosure on things, um, there's always something that happens in my life right before DEF CON, some medical thing that right. always happens right before DEF CON. Right. So this year, um, my father had to go in for another cardiac procedure and he got overdosed with fentanyl. Whoa. And I had to go home, um, because my father didn't remember who I was because it was so jacked up on this rephrase. So the procedure required 25 micrograms of fentanyl. They overdosed him with hundred micrograms. Oh, geez. So he was, he's like, I know you're my daughter. That's all I got. And I had to teach him how to be an adult again. I had to teach him how to use a phone. I had to teach, like I was walking in front of him so that he could walk and figure out how to like shuffle as much as he could. 
And I, in my head was like, why did the doctor do this? That's, that's fucked up. This is like a problem. And we were doing a tabletop exercise on that Thursday um, for the biohacking village. Mm-hmm. And during the thing, I said, it wasn't the doctor. Oh my God. It was the fucking machine. Mm-hmm. Because none of the people at the hospital could figure out what happened. They were like, we didn't, we didn't push the buttons to give him a hundred that we understand what that is. And it's things like that, that the first thing we always do is blame the human. Um, but I want to going back to other things, right? We keep talking about the hospitals and the devices. There's a lot of prelim stuff, like the biomanufacturing itself. Mm-hmm. How are we also protecting that critical infrastructure? Um, so current state healthcare is considered a critical infrastructure. Biomanufacturing is not. So how are we ensuring that the proper amounts of medication are going into things? Mm-hmm. When a lot of the devices that the hospitals work from, that biomanufacturing work from, cost a metric shit ton of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to build the building around the machine. So how are we securing those things? Or are we securing those things? Um, sometimes the risk is so great to some of the manufacturers that they have to self-insure. And I keep thinking about what that means. And if they are self-insured, do they then have to go out and let people know that something has happened? Or do they just go, self, a thing happened. All right, self, we have you covered. Awesome self. And then move forward. Mm-hmm. So there. There are studies. I do not have data on that is the correct answer. I have no real other data except for the young child that recently passed um, on any of these things because I also feel like it's kept so close to the chest. Yes. Because then it creates another um, point, another pain point for patients to also say, not going to the doctor. I'm already afraid, not going. Yeah. I I think healthcare needs to be more transparent about the state of healthcare. Um, take the vaccine, for instance, right? And I don't feel like the government or healthcare has been translucent or transparent with the data from that vaccine. I mean, I, I know for a fact, one person that I know personally, um, their nephew got the vaccine and um, within 24 hours later, he was dead. Um, completely healthy, but he, his heart started swelling and caused inflammation and he just passed away. And there was no explanation other than his heart stopped. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I don't think that they're forthcoming with a lot of information. I've been around healthcare forever, just like you. Um, my mom was in um, healthcare. She was a nurse. She was also a renal transplant coordinator. So growing up with that environment, you know, I was picking up the anatomy books that she was studying. I was picking up the journals and, and looking through things and trying to, you know, wrap my head around what I was reading and, and how things worked. Um, and I think that's what helped spur my, my curiosity when, when it came to hacking. Right. So I was in the hospital, funny story. I was in the hospital with my pacemaker. Um, they did not want me getting out of bed. So they set the alarm on the bed. Yeah. So I went and I looked at the name of the bed manufacturer. Yep. I looked, looked up the manual on the internet and figured out how to manually disable the alarm. So I'm walking through the hall and the nurse is like, how did you get out of bed? And I was like, I just turned off the fucking alarm. Well, how'd you do that? I was like, well, the manual's on the internet. 
And just, just like all the other devices, if you look for the information, you can find it and you can find back ways to, to manipulate certain medical devices or to make medical devices do other kinds of shit. So I thought that was interesting. And especially like the IV pumps, right? I was resetting my own IV pumps all the time and I could change the rates. I could do whatever I wanted to. There's no control mechanisms on those devices at all. There was a, there was a story a couple of years ago and by a couple, I mean like five to seven that there were, um, there were people that went in to surgery. Something happened. I don't remember the whole story. Anyway, they were, they happened to be drug addicts. And they figured out how to manipulate the infusion pump so that the full load of, um, what is it called? Morphine. 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 They got the full dose of morphine. And then people were like, we don't know what happened. This shouldn't have happened this way. Gave them a new bag Mm -hmm. and did the same thing. And then they figured out that they were manipulating the codes to, you know, drop the whole bullet on them. You said a couple of things that I loved um, that you picked up hacking. Citizen science became such a big deal Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the pandemic and because, um, so right, citizen science as a whole is um, you just learn the things on your own. You see a problem and you're like, I probably can fix that by doing, you know, like a twisty and blah, blah, blah. Um, that got picked up immensely during the pandemic. And now it's kind of like, oh, we kind of don't need you anymore. You did the thing. Thank you so much for helping. Awesome job. Mm-hmm. And they just piece you out, which is also a problem because mm-hmm those are the coolest fucking innovation people ever. Mm. I have a friend that knows so much about the genome. He's working on an inoculation essentially that will help you build more muscle and do Mm. the thing. And people question him constantly. And they're like, "Mm, where'd you go to school? And he's like, I have a fifth grade level. And they immediately are like, they spurn him like, oh, you know, nothing. He is so brilliant. This man is so fucking brilliant. I just sit at his knees and just listen to all the things he says. And because degrees are so important in science, Mm -hmm. you don't get the knowledge transfer. You don't get the accolades that should be given to you. The other thing you said that I love, um, that you picked up a manual and you read it and you did the things. I have these conversations with people and they're like, that's some fucked up shit. That's some black hat shit that you're doing. And I'm like, um... I read the manual. So I know what you want me to know. Right. And then I read between the lines of what you want me to know. And then I throw your book out mm-hmm. because I have to think in all of the ways, if you want me to protect you, I can't just be here. I'm like, you did a great job with all your technical writing. Super proud of you. Mm-hmm. You know, go put a password on it. You'll be fine. No, because that is not what the rest of the world is doing. And people get so upset and in their feelings about like why would you why would you do that why would you this because it's my fucking job it's my fucking job I'm trying to help you I'm trying to make you better and it's it's the whole thing of well you're I've literally been told to my face like you're being malicious wow no no really not I'm not I'm trying to help you I'm not here trying to collect any of your money Mm -hmm. I am not trying to like throw you to the wolves I'm trying to make this better. Mm-hmm. But if that's what you see, I mean, that's on you at that point. You just need to fix your shit. Yeah. And not only that, but when you look at like some hospitals, when they're refreshing their technology or, or their devices, right. And like insulin pumps or, or, you know, infusion machines, a lot of those machines get tossed out. Yep. And sometimes they just go out back. They don't go to a facility and people, pick, army. right. And people pick them up. 
and they learn how to manipulate them. Um, yeah. Fortunately, I was in a hospital for so long that I was able to learn how to set my own IVs and manipulate the pumps. And I actually took my IV out before I left. I hear it. Yeah, there's an ambulance going by. Um, so yeah, I mean, and all that technology. So the hardest thing for me in the hospital was sitting in this room for multiple days, 28 total at one point, um, with all these devices around me, making mm-hmm. weird noises and you know, blinking and lights going off and and shit pissing me off at two o'clock in the morning. And so I was like, that was the first thing I did was I started looking around, okay, what's the name of that device? Who manufactures it? How do I control this thing? Because I'm not waiting for the fucking nurse to come in because it's going to take her two hours because it's just a reset alarm. So I was resetting all my stuff and the nurse would come in. Well, I haven't heard anything in like two hours. You know, what's going on? I was like, well, I've already reset the IV. You know, it's almost done. Um, There was air in the line. I was able to. She walked in and you were like, I was just about to call you. This this needs to be replaced. Yeah. Right. And so they were like, oh, he's our best patient because he does everything himself. And I'm like, that's a problem. If that I is can, a problem. If I can do your job from my bedside, your job's in real trouble. Like you should probably learn this shit. So, oh, okay. Yes. So I've brought this up before. Um, I do not know how old you are. I will not ask. Um, when we talk about cool new technologies, that's amazing. We should be progressing, right? Mm. But when we're also making the different technologies, are we thinking about the generational mm-hmm. knowledge that comes along with it? So the greatest generation still exists and that's that's the world war ii world war ii generation um and then it's the baby boomers and then it's and it's me and then it's you what is that gen Gen x X. and then it's gen x and then it's the millennials and then it's gen z and whoever else is coming after that so they were born when the when the computer when the the tv was just coming Mm -hmm. out and now that the babies are like we also brought you an iPhone. Here's your, your child's thing. So we are not taking that into consideration when we are building things. Mm-hmm. Huge knowledge gap, huge problem. And people don't know to ask, what does the security look like? Does mm-hmm. there's, is there security in there? We are doing so much healthcare at home, mm-hmm. um, pay, digital, digital healthcare that I think that is going to be a massive part of our future state of healthcare. How are we making sure that all of that is in a safe place? Because now we are hoping, praying, postulating that the data centers of the hospitals are going to be safe, secure, and ready Mm. for the inundation of patient medical records and data flow that is going to happen from all the places. So all the rural places that couldn't get to data, I can say it, get to the hospitals, we can say, here's the thing, put it on your network, carry it around, put it on your phone, whatever that looks like. And whoosh. Yep. Are we planning for that? And just more context um, for CMS patients, mm-hmm. a real visit, a face-to-face visit is about $39, if I'm correct. And a digital um, visit is about $33. Right. So we're putting the impetus to have a real in-life visit mm-hmm. when we can do so much more with having this, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you were my doctor, you'd be like, show me your fridge because your sugar's been a little too high. Why are mm-hmm. you being stupid? 
And then I show you and I'm like, there's three things of ice cream because legit, I do have three things of ice cream. Um, you can have that conversation with me about like, mm, stop being stupid or like do this in moderation, right? It creates such a different dynamic. And maybe as a physician, we can almost be prescriptive, not we, but um, as a physician, they can almost be prescriptive about the security that then has to happen. Right. Of, you know, check your, check your, your, your network. Is there a little lock? Like, do you have a super secure um, password? But then we're also putting more impetus on them to understand all of these things mm-hmm. and have normal people conversations about this. We've been, we've been on the phone. We've been on this for almost an hour, right? Mm-hmm. And we haven't gotten to like the crux of anything. So if you're a patient with your heart condition, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you like, tell me about your heart. How have you felt? Um, are there any other comorbidities? Do you have swelling anywhere? Mm-hmm. Has your brain space? Do you feel anything different? And then for me to also have a conversation of, I'm going to, I'm asking you for data from your pacemaker. Can you put your phone next to it? simultaneously while we're doing this. And then I can watch how your heart is going. We can do an EKG in real time. Mm-hmm. You're asking the patient for a lot. Oh yeah. That's a huge educational moment. Mm-hmm. And you're also making the patient aware that that is on. Yep. Absolutely. Which also sparks more information because, you know, how many times have I had that conversation with the doctor during the pandemic? Cause there were no office visits and I'm talking to him just like I'm talking to you. Well, who else is listening to this conversation? Or who else is getting this video? You know, that's another concern. But I think, uh, you know, after the pandemic hit and we start seeing a lot of telemed, I think that doctors should have some sort of crash course into cybersecurity. Um, because I know that some of them, you know, like I had, I had a Zoom call with my doctor, right? And the first thing I asked him was, so I got your Zoom, you know, this invite. This is channel. Yeah. that and I was like well why was there no password on the zoom invite like I don't feel very comfortable talking about medical issues with an open zoom meeting like that that just it bugs me Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah like you you start talking about telemedicine and and like relying on the patient to know a little bit of medical um, and that type of stuff it reminds me of when the da Vinci first came out and they were (sighs) doing the surgery in Antarctica and saving that doctor's life I thought that was badass like that to me was like, okay, medicine's about to change drastically. And it has, but the sad thing is that the security around it has not changed. So here's my moment. Um, One of my theses was about a remote controlled operational device. And first, um, the university I went to, uh, they were like, security is not a real thing. You need to stop your shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are you talking about? I literally pulled up like every legislative piece of paper I could find. And I was like, this is real. And I'm not quite sure why you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I passed, but the caveat to that is I got a C in one of my classes. And about two years later, she's like, Hey, you busy? Can you come give a class about security? And I was like, Oh, is it real? Like, can you change my grade? Um, but there, we are asking physicians to do what may be beyond their breadth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And we are asking them to explain it to people 
that that may also be beyond their breadth of knowledge. So like like with um, diabetes patients, they're the diabetic educators. Mm -hmm. There's been thought processes of having a security educator. That would be right. Um, So Christian Demef and Jeff Tully have a conference. They haven't done it in two years because of the pandemic, but essentially what it, what they do is they, they bring um, devices, they put devices in a simulated room and they bring in physicians. The physicians have no idea what's going on. And the thing starts beeping, the patient starts reacting, all these things happen. And they debrief with the physician after. And the doctor's like, oh, I just thought it was the patient. Like, I, I thought like, maybe their, their, their glucose monitor just hit something. And I just, I just took it out because that's my reaction to things. So how are we educating the doctors on the device just as much as the security, just as much as this is how, don't open, don't open an email if it looks like it's not supposed to be a real email from a patient, et cetera. So going back to your um, thing. So I, my thesis was on a thing and I finally met those people. And I was like, hello, my friends, let me show you what I have been working on. Whoosh. And uh, they were not happy. They were just like, fuck are you? Um, no, no, that's not right. Also not true. And I was like, oh, okay. But here's my paper and my presentation. And, you know, just let me know how you feel or things. And uh, I think they kind of blacklisted me for a while um, because they were not trying to have conversations with me after that. And I was like, no, I totally get it. Cause you're mad. Um, but I disclosed to you. So how are you fixing it? And I've still got nothing back, but um, other manufacturers are also doing this robotic thing, right? It's not thing, but this robotic mechanisms. Wonderful. I love it because if a doctor in Tennessee or wherever is doing a really phenomenal job of things, yes, you are my homeboy. I want you to do the things for me through this gamification of search. I'm invested. But I also want to know that whatever gamification thing we're working from, that you have tested it. Right. Not only do I want to know about this, I want to see things. Like, why can't I, as a patient, say, uh, can you give me information on this robotic device that you're about to use on me? BT Dubs. Can I also, like, I want a full report. I just don't want that one piece. I don't want a one pager. Right. So, but again, it's a place of duress. You, nobody goes to the doctor because they're like, what's up, homie? Like, yeah. it's, it's, I don't feel good. I need you to fix this. Do mm-hmm. it now. Yeah, I think that there needs to be more ambassadors from cybersecurity that are involved in in healthcare. Uh, I think it will help tremendously, like spread knowledge and educate people. Um, There's one other one other topic I want to talk about and get your opinion on, and I'm sure that this has come up in some of your conversations. Neuralink and Elon Musk. What do you what do you think about that whole program and and the the goal and how to achieve that goal with Neuralink? So Neuralink's, um, I also may be late on information. So um, it's See, to, I don't want to say read your mind, but it's, it's to know things. Right. right. Um, I, I, thank you. Thank you for doing this. That's the last question. <laughs> um, so... 
So I'll, I'll give you my opinion. I'll give okay. you my opinion first. Maybe I'm trying to think. I'm, I went so dark on this one. Okay. So my, my feeling about Neuralink and being able to tap into the brain and how the brain operates and be able to communicate back and forth through Neuralink scares the fuck out of me, first of all. Second of all, do we really want a billionaire who has, you know, his own, you know, motives to do things in charge of something that could be that life changing? Um, to me, it's like the evil scientists sitting behind, you know, the counter and like, you know, coming up with these ideas how to control humanity, you know, and look at what he's done so far. It's been some amazing shit. Yeah. But we all know that he's one of those guys, one of those, you know, flamboyant guys that, you know, he wants to have his name in neon lights. So my gut reaction to that was, um, you and I text, right? Mm-hmm. I am really hard to keep up with. And I'm super aware of that much like this, right? There's like too many synapses firing. Um, I don't, I don't want people to know my brain thoughts mm. because um, IP, for, I mean, for me, it's right, IP. Um, if I know stuff and now they know stuff, how are they going to take advantage of that stuff? Exactly. And by advantage, I mean, are they going to go and protect it? Are they going to be like, this is great. Let's, let's go fix it. Good ideas. Or are they going to do the thing of, this is information that we can sell to the highest bidder, wink, wink. Mm-hmm. Um, or use it against you. Or use it against me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so similarly to this, I have a, I have a fascination with um, hearing aids. Mm-hmm. And. Huh? What? 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 <laughs> and I keep thinking about how they work. And I've thought about this for a long time. A lot of them are Bluetooth now, mm-hmm. which is another aspect of. I can listen to you just as much as you can listen to me now. Yep. And my lingering thought about them has always been, if I found one on someone's network and I pinged into it and I was like, um, or had words or said things, who becomes liable for those actions? Um, so, so Sydney, who works on the biohacking village, he does neuro. He's had lots of conversations with me about how the neuro thing works, and I'm I'm invested. If I can control my data, maybe it's a control freak issue, maybe it's a security issue. Where is this data going? Right. That's EMRs. EMRs are about to be, or they might be already a petabyte of data. Mm-hmm. You want my thoughts? That is a metric shit ton of petabytes. That's whatever is after that. Where is it being disseminated? How is it being disseminated? If something happens, do you call me and tell me that like, simmer down you, calm down, do the thing. Um, There was a, speaking of pacemakers, there was a a human that their their house lit up, right? It went on fire. And the insurance company was like, "Mm, this looks like arson, we're not sure. We need to figure this out. They, someone, subpoenaed the 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 pacemaker data and found out that the person the humans patients um rhythm was like super fast but then it calmed down and then it was still calm 
and they aligned the time and they realized that he they was the sparked arson, it that he was the arson mm-hmm. and all of the things went away and he ended up in jail and it's things like that um i think there's a book about this too like are you going to put me in jail for think thoughts that i've had future crime right so where where are the parameters to um where are we separating all of these things like how much of this is science fiction science um yeah i have a lot of feelings and also does that create an issue for people that don't have the funding to buy these things um who who gets to play with all the cool new toys first yeah exactly and we were talking about this the other day on one of the clubhouse channels i believe with iot and, and different devices coming into a network and how you know, police and law enforcement are using sometimes Alexa logs to help convict people based on conversations that were had in the house. Um, You know, we keep inviting all this cool technology into our homes because it's convenient and because it's cool and everybody has them, but people don't put enough thought into. And one of the things I tell people in my 1984 talk, I do this talk about IOT and how it's used against you. And I always tell people before you put something in your home and before you want to control your lights from your car or from work, think about it for a second. If you can access it remotely, so can I, do you Mm -hmm. really want me in your network? Mm -hmm. And it goes the same with like medical data, right? If, if I can see my pacemakers communication, somebody else can too. Do I really want them looking at it? Um, And same thing with thought thought is so, I mean, when I heard about Neuralink, I thought, you know, first of all, he's trying to tap into the human brain, which we only know what like 10% of, um, and he wants to collect everything like that. That to me is scary because like you said, where does that data go? And more importantly, who is that person that's looking at that data? Is it law enforcement? Is it Elon Musk? Is it the Chinese? Hell, I don't know. You know, a lot of this data that, that we see in some of the new devices that are manufactured overseas that data yep. is going back overseas. What does that business agreement look like? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Nina, I appreciate you being on the podcast. It's been awesome. Um, we'll have to do it again very soon and hopefully without as much coercion next time. Um, but I, I'm invested. I do, we talk all the time now. I, I do give you props on that though. The, the OPSEC that you practice is phenomenal. Uh, maybe we can talk about that next time. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate it. And any last thoughts before we shut it down or any questions for me? We can do this better. We just have to make the choice to do that. Um, sure. Healthcare is the one field that is pretty much universal to every country. We just have to make this a real thing and, and attempt to prevent. Totally agree. And I think it takes all of the cybersecurity industry to contribute to healthcare in order to make it better. It's not going to be a one person game. Cool. I appreciate it. Have a good weekend. I'm glad you took your time out on your Sunday to come talk to me and and banter and listen to my nonsense for an hour. Um, So we'll talk soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye.